A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's been a damaging few weeks for Prince Charles, the future king of the United Kingdom. The real question is, what on earth is the Prince's Foundation doing? What is Charles doing? How have they become embroiled in anything like this? His team have been accused of accepting cash from foreign donors in exchange for access, honours and securing their futures in Britain. Prince Charles's right-hand man, Michael Fawcett, embroiled in yet another scandal. Damaging claims about donations to his charity and potential promises to help secure honours. While they say that the Prince and Mr Fawcett are not friends, there's no denying that this is a man that the Prince trusted. And now he's been plunged into another scandal involving, well, a classic cast list actually, a Russian banker, a group of royal fixers and a £500,000 donation that went missing. We have the Charity Commission, which covers England and Wales. We have the Prince's Foundation, all investigating what has gone on over here. And it really stinks. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Kyla MacDonald, sitting in for Manveen Rana. Today, cash for access. The Prince and the Oligarch. Over the past few weeks, the Sunday Times has been investigating the practice of paid intermediaries taking money from foreign individuals in exchange for honours and access to the royals. Now, it might seem a bit strange, actually, that the future king, who is paid by the public, is in such dire straits as to need so much donated money. What on earth is he spending it on? One of the things which has occupied Prince Charles has been Dumfries House which is a Palladian 18th century manor in Ayrshire, Scotland, which the prince famously saved from private ownership by loaning a consortium £20 million or so to buy it. Gabriel Pogrand is the Whitehall correspondent for the Sunday Times. It's this beautiful royal residence with priceless Chippendale furniture. Charles has looked to various individuals from abroad in particular to bankroll its conservation and restoration. So I just felt that it would have been a tragedy of immense proportions if the whole thing had just been split up and we would have been left with an empty shell of a house. And I know it would have just become a, a ruin. There's lots of kind of actors and parties involved in this, but there are basically kind of three key circles on the Venn diagram. There are you know wealthy foreign donors who want to establish themselves in Britain who want to take a bath in the warm waters of the establishment the royal family. There are individuals in the middle who court clientele from abroad with the aforementioned goals and who enjoy access to the royals or people in their orbit. 
And then you have the royals themselves and individuals who advise Charles or work as charities. I think we, in fact, as part of one of our pieces, spoke to uh, a royal source who said the prince's intentions are good, but this is all money for the vanity projects. Has nobody said to him, you are just years away from being king. What the fuck are you doing? Could you describe what Dumfries House is used for when it comes to private trips for potential wealthy donors? Well, these wealthy donors are invited to spend uh, time with Prince Charles at Dumfries House. They are told that they need to arrive at Presswick or Glasgow Airport where they'll be collected by a chauffeur. The driver will take them to the grounds, whereupon they'll be welcomed by Prince Charles himself or his representatives. There'll be a dinner, you know, perhaps cocktails at the start. Charles's favourite drink is G&T. According to one person who's been to a number of them who I spoke to, the way it works is if you haven't donated to Charles yet, you get to sit very close to him. Only once your future benevolence has been assured you then sort of gradually ease towards the periphery of the table, but you know you very much get face time with the future king. Pictures are strictly prohibited, or rather individuals are not allowed to themselves take selfies or iPhone snaps, but you do and, and indeed are encouraged to pose for pictures with Charles and you can then buy the photos back in due course. If you are a kind of Russian oligarch, a Saudi tycoon, or whoever else, you need to find a way into the royal world. You can't go through the front door. There's no contact us uh, bit of the prince's foundation, uh, which provides you with a hotline to the future king. You need to do it with the help of somebody who knows what they're doing and kind of navigate the idiosyncrasies and eccentricities of the royal households. Now's a good time to get to know the full cast of characters in this twisty tale, starting with... A man called William Bortrick, who is the charismatic Ulsterman who owns the publication Burke's Peerage. I'm not a subscriber, Gabriel. You're going to have to tell us a bit more. William Bortrick is the owner of this 185-year-old publication, which chronicles the genealogy of the British aristocracy. So its job is essentially to make family trees and uh, research information pertaining to the earls, barons and dukes that make up the British hereditary system. And, you know, on the face of it, that's all that Bortrick does. But what Bortrick has also done is because he obviously enjoys his access to the aristocracy and in turn the institution at its apex, the royal family, he has also served as a kind of fixer, connecting individuals to members of the royal family. So we've got Prince Charles, we've got William Bortrick, we've got Dumfries House. I think at this point we should introduce Michael Fawcett, whose name is going to come up throughout this conversation as well. Tell us about Michael Fawcett quickly and we'll get more detail on him as we go through, but who is he? I don't think there's a better way of introducing this conversation than by quoting the headline of the piece we had a few weeks ago, which described Fawcett as Charles's toothpaste squeezer in chief. I think uh, a couple of decades ago, Charles had a shoulder injury, and it was during that time that this man called Michael Fawcett, not Charles's wife or anybody else, but rather Michael Fawcett, was entrusted with squeezing the Colgate or whatever brand it was onto Charles's toothbrush. That, I think, illustrates the emotional proximity between Charles and this individual. I don't think anybody quite knows what the source of his worth is 
to Charles precisely, but what he has done for a long time is do some of the most kind of sensitive fundraising work and basically do a lot of the things that would be unedifying for Charles to be associated with, but which need to be done or are perceived to be necessary. He is sort of this presence which looms large over the royal establishment in particular, and he is at the centre of this because when Bortrick offers access to individuals who will come on to with the royals, it is Fawcett that is often the man brokering it. Understood. Okay, so the scene is set. We can all picture ourselves sat by the fireside at Dumfries House. Prince Charles is swirling a gin and tonic on the sofa, maybe a couple of seats away from us because we donated a while ago, and that's fine. We're we're hearing conversation (laughs) about the Prince's Foundation. That's all good. We've had our phone call with William Bortrick already. That's all organised. Fawcett's loitering in the corner, just making sure everything's okay. Then enter Dimitri Leas. That's right. So Dmitri Leus is a Turkmenistan-born Russian and Cypriot banker who has been in and around the United Kingdom for the last decade. He described himself as an established businessman and philanthropist. And since 2014, at least, he has been trying to secure long-term residency and citizenship in the UK. The unfortunate fact for Laius is that he has a money laundering conviction, or rather was convicted for money laundering in Russia in 2004. Now, his representatives are keen to emphasise that his conviction was later overturned. And in their words, expunged. And he has insisted it was politically motivated. But nevertheless, that particular detail on his CV has, unfortunately, proven to be rather awkward for Laius. He then increased his efforts to establish a foundation for his future in Britain by setting his sights on the definitive symbol of the British establishment, the royal family. It's in this context that he was introduced to William Bortrick. The Sunday Times investigation team was able to uncover a series of emails between the parties. What the emails we've been leaked makes clear is the transactional nature of this arrangement. So it was that in May 2020 that Laius did donate the first instalment of what was ultimately half a million pounds in donations. Days later, he gets a letter from Charles himself thanking him for his very generous support. Charles, in fact, underlined the word very, said that his money would go towards critical initiatives at Dumfries House and, and said, and, and herein lies the key sentence, I very much look forward to seeing you when this dreadful crisis passes. So at this point then, let's consider Prince Charles's position that you just kind of touched upon. At the point where he says, you know, look forward to seeing you, do we, do we know more about the context of that? Is that just something that Prince Charles says? Is that something that he says with all the information that we now have about Dimitri Laius? Or is that something that he says actually from quite a distance from knowing that much about the person that he's writing to? You have to sort of make your own judgment about these things. I mean, you know, one could turn around and say Prince Charles writes letters all the time. He probably sends out hundreds of Christmas cards as well. You know, just because he happened to sign something, it it doesn't hold any force or weight or significance. But I think our argument would be that it's not so straightforward. And I would just also outline that Charles was no stranger of course he's no stranger to force it, but he was no stranger to portrait either. In fact, the issue that has prompted forces 
resignation is the fact that he's been caught at the heart of this cash for honor scandal where you know Fawcett was involved in helping a Saudi donor to royal causes, a man called Mafuz bin Mafuz, secure an CBE. One of the prince's charities is happy and willing to support an application for citizenship. The recipient of this letter, a Saudi billionaire who donated tens of thousands of pounds to organisations linked to the prince. Well, you know, Bortrick, who represented Mafuz, met Charles on a number of occasions in relation to that process. So that's Prince Charles at this point. So, Laius has given money, he's got this letter back from Charles. Meanwhile, what happens to the money? It didn't go directly to the Prince's foundation. Where did it actually go? What happened? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because you clearly, therefore, know that it gets a little complicated. (laughs) So the sort of first step in this process is that Laius donates a six-figure sum, £200,000, to, well, not the Prince Foundation, rather he transfers it to a UK-registered charity called the Mafuz Foundation. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that Fawcett had resigned over his help getting an honour for a man called Mafuz bin Mafuz. The Mafuz Foundation is bin Mafuz's UK charity responsible for sending his money to royal causes, among others. Mafuz spends most of his time in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Bortrick has for years been his representative in the UK, managing many of his interests here. He is not technically a trustee of the Mufu's Foundation, but he, I understand, and I don't think he's particularly disputed this, retains de facto control over the organisation, the charitable goals of Mufu's bin Mufu's himself, because Laius was told to give his money to this foundation. So the money goes to the Mufu's Foundation. At that point, large chunks of money are held back for various fixes. Bortrick has acknowledged he intended to take thousands of pounds in what he characterised as expenses for overseeing the visit for Laius to Charles. A lot of cash does not end up with the Prince's Foundation, but at some point, we think around £100,000 is sent on to the Prince's Foundation, prompting Charles's letter of thanks days later. And I ask that to propel us into this sort of next section of the conversation, which basically, in in summary, is about Laius and the the total amount of money that he ends up giving, or that he suggests he is willing to give in order to secure one of our fireside chats with Prince Charles, but also his, his causes of anger that these meetings haven't actually happened. So there's money moving and swirling around and he's still not got the access that he's after. How much money's changed hands? Where's he up to with his with his meetings between Laius and Charles and, and the cancellations that were rife? So there were at least two meetings that it appears were actually organised. Both occasions were cancelled, and Laius, by the summer, is getting frustrated. He, in September, transferred £300,000 to the Mafuz Foundation, all of which he expected to be donated to the charity. In fact, following the cancellation of the second proposed meeting, one of Laius's representatives emailed Bortrick to inform him that she had just had to spend four hours calming him down over dinner. Such was his infuriation and agitation that having donated such voluminous sums of cash this meeting which had been promised in the spring was no closer to happening than it had been on the day that charles had said he looked forward to seeing him in due course now i think part of why the meeting hadn't happened is covid 
But the significant part of it too is the fact that it seems over the course of last summer, one of the trustees of Prince's Foundation discovered on Google information about Laius's past, in particular the money laundering conviction in 2004. And it was then that they started to raise concerns about the interaction between Michael Fawcett, the chief executive of the Prince's Foundation, and Laius, who, notwithstanding the fact that the conviction had been overturned, had various details in his CV, question marks over his track record, that this trustee felt meant that the thing should be put on ice. It was time for Laius to meet the aide closest to Prince Charles himself, Michael Fawcett. And accompanied by William Bortrick, a meeting was arranged in September at a private members' club. Mercifully, this whole plan hit a snag at the time that the pandemic had slightly abated. And so this is not a Zoom meeting we're reporting on, but a real life event. It was held at the Oxford and Cambridge Club, which is a private members club in St. James's in central London. They met together at 3pm on Friday, this 18th of September, Fawcett, that is his deputy, a man called Chris Martin. William Bortrick and Dimitri Laius. And my understanding is that the meeting was very amicable. Bortrick, you know, in terms of how the meeting looked and felt, was very much the man kind of holding the room, kind of explaining who Laius was and what he wanted, whilst also seeking to convey some of the concerns and priorities of the Prince's Foundation. Fawcett and Martin, you know, basically were saying, We want your money. We'd love to build a relationship between you and the prince but there's a, a certain way of doing things and you know we we would suggest that or, or, or rather mandate that you know any future donations come through you know a charity which you've yourself incorporated within the united kingdom and Fawcett also advised him you should really gold plate your own reputation in the meantime that will certainly help in getting access to to charles and it's there that laius says you know, he's still keen to meet the prince he's even himself dangled a a carrot of his own, the prospect of a seven-figure, never mind six-figure donation. Laius did everything they suggested, including setting up the Laius Family Foundation as the UK-based charity through which he could finally make his generous donations. I'm here with the founder of the Laos Family Foundation. So, Dimitri, tell me a little bit about how the Laos Family Foundation started. All my life, I tried to help vulnerable people. It's before Family Foundation was, started, was, was set up and, uh, and now. Coming up, the fixers get cold feet. But first, a message from our friend George. Hi, I'm George Abuffnot, the Deputy Editor of the Sunday Times Insights Investigations team. It's you, the listeners and subscribers, who enable the Insight team to investigate the government's response to the pandemic. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with the Times and the Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. To recap, just to sort of reposition ourselves. So we've had the meeting at the club, at the private members club, against the backdrop of an employee googling Laius's name and, and getting concerned, really, about, about him and about his past. That sort of works its way through the various characters that we've mentioned, who in turn seem to sort of find a bit of a workaround for, for some of the money. So the Mafood Foundation sits on a large amount of the money, and then £200,000 is transferred to, the, to another charity, an entirely unrelated organisation, called Children and the Arts. So Children and the Arts is a charity which, by the time this took place, was semi-defunct. It was an organisation which gave to underprivileged children, supporting them doing arts and crafts and such like. Charles is a patron. So Laius thinks he's giving his money to restore the Palladian Chippendale interior and furniture of the Dumfries house. On, on the contrary, it has now been siphoned off through the Mafuse Foundation, unbeknownst to him, to this arts charity, which is in the process of being wound up. Perhaps we should clarify what wound up means in the context of, of where this money has gone into that organisation and, and what, what winding it up would mean for Laius's uh, very generous donation. Winding up is basically the process of dissolving the charity as an organisation. So that means you settle any obligations or debts you still have you know you pay any costs towards staff but basically you know you go from having a charity that exists to having one which does not exist we understand that the charity itself children in the arts had undertaken this negotiation with Fawcett on the basis of the belief that this donation which he was brokering came from the mafuz foundation in other words children in the arts did not know that the actual donor was laius himself So we have Laius, who doesn't know his money, is being moved into a given organisation. And we have a given organisation which doesn't know that the money it's receiving has come from him. And Laius actually remains in the dark about this for half a year. It's only in March of this year that it seems the Prince's Foundation decides that they owe Laius an explanation for what has happened to his money in the meantime. And it is then that Chris Martin... Fawcett's deputy at the Prince's Foundation sends Laius's representatives two documents. One is a letter from Martin saying, we know that you thought your money was going to the Dumfries house, but we've actually decided, Dimitri, that your money should go where it is best needed and where the Prince needs the most support. And right now, that is Children in the Arts, which does all this wonderful work with disadvantaged children. 
And then he also attaches a letter from Children and the Arts, or at least purporting to be from Children and the Arts, in which they too state, we are very grateful to you for this kind donation, and it will help the charity fulfill its educational programs for the disadvantaged attending schools in this country. So, you know, Laius essentially has been led down the garden path and is now being told, oh, well, this is where your money is. But that sort of complexity doesn't stop there because when we showed this letter to Children in the Arts and told them, did they know that the money was coming from Laius? Children and the Arts turned around and said, we did not send that letter. They say that the letter which is addressed to dear sirs and which is merely from it says yours faithfully children in the arts all very ambiguous they say we have never written a letter to dear sirs and from children in the arts in general on on, on this day it's not from us they later clarify that they did write a letter thanking the Mafuse Foundation, but it was addressed to the Mafuse Foundation. So in the meantime, the copy of the document, which has made its way to Laius, has been altered, doctored, however you happen to want to characterise it. I suppose it's worth considering then at this point, the situation that, that Laius is in, what is he doing? You've mentioned before that he's kind of considering his options, I suppose, when it comes to legal action, for example. Do we have a sense of, of just how angry he actually is? Well, uh, I think pretty angry is the long and short of it. I mean, it's sort of a complicated but fascinating tale because he's simultaneously the man who suffered because of this past overturned conviction and who attracted all this scrutiny, all these doubts, um, was in fact blocked uh, by trustees who did not think he was an appropriate person to be accepted money from. We've sort of focused on the fact that Charles wrote a letter to a guy who had not passed that level of vetting. And then he's also the victim. He is somebody who's given lots of money, not all of which has ended up where he was told it was going to go, and who has been you know, deceived repeatedly over the course of this period. So how angry is he? I think you know we, we know that he's uh, said he doesn't rule anything out. Gabriel, we've kind of done um, a decent job here following the money, following Dimitri Laius, uh, joining him uh, in the Oxford and Cambridge Club, not joining him at Dumfries House at the time of recording. But more pertinently than that are questions about the repercussions for Prince Charles. Where are we at? What's being investigated? Who's being investigated? We have the Office of the Scottish Charity Regulator. We have the Charity Commission, which covers England and Wales. We have the Prince's Foundation, all investigating what has gone on over here. And it really stinks. You have Charles offering to see somebody who had been promised, if you pay money, you get to see the King. You have Charles being found to have met Bortrick on at least nine occasions. You have Fawcett resigning for the third time, albeit temporarily. And now he's at the centre of this riddle surrounding a fraudulent letter. This, in the round, is not the sort of thing which the future king should be getting involved with. I think that is a fairly uncontroversial statement. And another, can you imagine the queen doing any of this? There's just no way that it is the sort of thing that the queen would do. And it is no way, there's no way it's the sort of thing that Charles should do. And Charles's operation has continued to insist that he is had no idea about the alleged offers of cash for access or cash for honours. But I think the fact that he has met Portrick on all these occasions, wrote these letters, 
attended these fundraisers, and critically kept Fawcett in his inner sanctum tells you all you need to know. And you mentioned the Queen, and it does immediately make me think of the royal family at large. It's definitely in a, in a delicate state right now, isn't it? Prince Andrew's got a court summons, and that sort of shadow of that whole saga is hanging over them. Meghan and Harry, of course, started the year, really challenging, I suppose, the royal family and its standing. And now we've got kind of Prince Charles caught up in this murky world of, of cash for access, cash for honours, potentially. I suppose, as a kind of zoomed out thought, Gabriel, from you, is how damaging is this for the reputation? of the royal family, particularly, I suppose, at this point, for Prince Charles, who is who is waiting to assume the throne? Well, I think, you know, you just eloquently outlined the fact that it's been a disastrous year, it's been a disastrous decade. I mean, one could even say it's been a disastrous two decades uh, for the institution of the royal family. I mean, obviously, there's no shortage of interest in them, and that applies uh, on both sides of the pond and indeed around the world. But it is, it is dreadful. I mean, it, you know, Charles, as you say, uh, is not a minor royal. He is the man who presumably, reasonably soon, will ascend to the throne at a time when public attitudes towards uh, the monarchy are in flux and are pretty plastic. I think it was, again, Matthew Paris who said that most members of the British public are now not monarchists, but Elizabethists. We love the Queen. We are not so sure about the rest of them. And this sort of thing uh, does not help the royal cause whatsoever. It is obviously the case that Prince Andrew is currently in the proverbial, not quite yet literal dock for offences that easily supersede anything Charles is accused of doing over here. But the fact that you have so many of the Queen's children and so many major royals subsumed in these scandals is really serious for the reputation and standing of the institution. And it is for that reason, Parents' House is been trying to shut these stories down for weeks but you know in, in the end it charles is so close to all of it that it's very difficult to distance him from it you've been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times thank you i'm callum mcdonald and my guest today was whitehall correspondent for the sunday times gabriel pogrind you can read more of gabriel's work at thetimes.co.uk but only if you're a subscriber and if you've just enjoyed this entire podcast which to me it feels like you have it's made by the brilliant team at the times so why not subscribe to the paper online as a little thank you that'd be kind Of course, you can pick up the paper in print as well. Do that on Sundays to get more of Gabriel's brilliant work. Do it every other day to get other people's brilliant work. The producer today was Josh and Channa. The executive producer was Asia Fuchs. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you feel that we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, we are standing by to hear from you. Send us an email. The address you need is storiesofourtimes.com at thetimes.co.uk and I will see you again soon. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.